This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better it was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly so you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues including cuts scrapes burns sunburns rashes other types of skin damage it's totally safe non-toxic suitable on all types of skin even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin this is also safe for the young members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500,000 happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean, and I'm here to give you and other passionate, dedicated moms the tools you need to bridge the gap between motherhood and living the life of your dreams. I'm also here to help you be a little more shameless every day, because if you aren't building a life you're extraordinarily proud of, what kind of legacy are you building? So let's dive in. On today's episode of the Shameless Mom Academy, we're talking to Hallie Bach. So I met Hallie through my husband. They were coworkers many, many years ago. Um, and actually, Hallie and I have never met in person because they were coworkers long before my husband and I met. But my husband recently sent me an article that Hallie wrote on passion versus purpose. And I knew as soon as I read the article, I had to have her on the show. I also really wanted to have Hallie on the show because her family dynamic is one that we have not yet shared in within the Shameless Mom Academy. So we've talked with Jen Briggs about being a stepmom. We've talked with Jillian Mitchell about foster adoption. We've talked with Misty Mosaico about being a single mom. We've talked about all these different ways that families can be made up. And today we have a new family dynamic that I'm excited to hear about and just hear someone's experience with. And what I love about hearing all these different family stories is that it really is this day and age, you get to choose how to create your family and how to build your family. And this is so different than two generations ago. It's not just like you meet someone at a certain age and you get married and have as many children as possible. It's really, really shifted in the last couple generations. And I love seeing, I was a sociology major, so I love studying family dynamics. I love studying group dynamics and cultural dynamics. So Another new family dynamic today on the show that is fascinating to me, um, and we get to hear about one of the big things we talk about today, which I have have to do a whole episode on, is family dynamics related to the family manager. So make sure you tune in for the family manager talk between Hallie and I, because I want you to weigh in. Like, let me know who's the family manager at your house and how did that happen? Because I'm pretty sure that like there's never a vote on this. It just kind of happens by default. And some of us don't want to be the family manager. We just ended up landing there somehow. So I'd love to hear your experience with that. 
So aside from that, professionally, Hallie is pretty much as like as badass as it gets when it comes to being a strong, powerful corporate person who like built a business on a mission and wants to you know spread her passion and her purpose with the world. So I'm going to go ahead and tell you a little bit more about her professionally, but know that in this episode, we talk a lot about her profession and I love how she dives into how it connects uh, with her because all of her, prof- many of her professional strides, not all of them, but many of them happen while she was a mother. And so her, it's pretty impressive to hear her professional, um, her resume during motherhood. It's kind of mind blowing to me. So um, just keep in mind as we, as I read through her little bio here, keep in mind, these are the things one did while she was a mom, just traveling all over the world, kicking ass every day. So I'm going to go ahead and share with you a little bit about Hallie, and then we'll go ahead and dive in and talk about what Hallie is doing now after shifting gears out of her bigger corporate role and into being an author, and her book comes out in January. And then we're also going to talk about, just in more general terms, how women can find their passion and their purpose and live by that and live by something that really lights a fire. So Hallie Bach was a shareholder and CEO of a successful training and development company where for nearly a decade, she both worked on and studied human dynamics and relationships and their impact on both business and individual success. The focus of her company was on developing the art and skill of conversation as the vehicle for creating connection with teams, employees, leaders, and individuals, as well as transforming individual and collective results. In her first book, which comes out in January, Life Incorporated, Hallie looks beyond the curtain of of relationship dynamics and reveals the source of brokenness she has encountered in individuals across the globe. Here she seeks to repair the most important yet missing relationship, the one with self, Make sure you tune in for our conversation about that because it's impo- it's a really important one. Hallie brings with her a vast network of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and a multitude of connections made through sharing her thought leadership over the last decade. She's also a tried and true road warrior, having spoken at many large events and been relied upon by substantial media outlets for her expertise. So some of those media outlets include the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Fast Company, USA Today, the New York Post, the Huffington Post, and the Daily News. So she's kind of been around. Um, So that's where Hallie's been. Today, we're going to talk about where she's going and how she can definitely help you get there. And um, I will definitely make sure that you can find out how you can connect with Hallie if you want to kind of stalk her as, as I did before this interview. I definitely was like, where is this lady on social media? I need to see what she's doing and what she's up to because this bio is so impressive. So let's go ahead and dive in with Hallie. Hallie Bach, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. The first thing I want to talk to you about is a little bit about your family life. So you sent me this amazing professional bio, and it it's the family piece is a mystery. I know some of your family experience. And I actually, I should mention that um, the reason that I wanted to bring you on the show is because my husband, who you know, do you know Vince from Real Networks? Okay. Yes. So from like multiple careers ago, um, you and my husband worked together. And when I said I wanted to do a podcast, your name, he immediately started telling me about you. And he's like, you need to talk to Hallie. She has so many great things that you could talk to her about on the podcast. And then he sent me this article. So in addition to that, I knew that you had a really cool family story. And so I was like, okay, like the combination of these two things, like I got to get you on the show and we got to dive into all of it. <laughs> so let's start with the family piece and then we'll and then we'll go into the more professional stuff, which we've already addressed a little in your bio. So tell us a little bit about your family, who makes up your family and uh, how you all came to be. 
Yeah, well, I am married to a wonderful woman, so I have a wife, and she has a wife. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and we have two kids. We have a son, Nico, who's eight, and Uma, who is six. And being a same-sex couple with both females, that gave us the rare uh, opportunity to both get pregnant. Um, and truth be told, when my wife, who got pregnant first, um, when she got pregnant and I started to see what all happens to the body, <laughs> I started to get a little chicken about the whole thing because she got really, really sick. Like she couldn't even laugh without gagging. She couldn't brush her teeth, oh you know, without gagging. It was, it was, I would try not to laugh when she was around, but it was pretty hilarious. Um, and also a bit frightening. Yeah. So after she had Nico, I was, I said, you know, okay. So thinking, okay, there's this amazing mother bond. She's been through motherhood. Like she is going to want to get pregnant again. So I dipped my toe in and I said, okay, you know, it's okay with me if you want to have a second. Like I'm nice totally fine try. with that. I know. I said, so it's okay. Do you, do you want to have the second? And she looked at me and without even hesitating said, no, no way. Never again. <laughs> Man, I so wish I could opt out and be like, Vince, it's your turn. Yeah, she tagged me in. She tagged me in. And you know what? Ironically, I loved it. I absolutely, my body loved it. I I told her, I was like, you know, if we had started when we were younger, um, because I was um, at the end of my 30s when I got pregnant, um, and I said, you know, we'd probably be on one of those shows with way too many kids because I just, it made me happy. Like all the right hormones, wow. all the right things, you know, were kicking in. So we had very different experiences and pregnancies that both of our kids kicked our butts when it came to actually, you know, labor and having them, they, they got their pay back then. But, um, yeah, so different, different stories, but yeah. of course, as any mother, two very wonderful outcomes. How was the recovery? So I found pregnancy, the first trimester was rough, but then the rest of it was okay. For me, the recovery mm -hmm. was, and I had like a very regular standard birth experience. I found the recovery though and nursing just sucked. It was like, it took all of it was just much more challenging and overwhelming than I expected. And I felt like it took my body so long to regulate. And did you guys have, did you guys both feel like you bounced back or was it different for each of you? No, I don't think there's any bouncing back. And if there is, <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, because that's just annoying. Right. That's just, you know, it's like, just tell somebody else about how you bounce back. And, um, you know, I, it, it on a couple different levels, you know, I was a CEO at the time running a growing business. It's very much, you know, on fire right up until, you know, I had my my birth, you know, scheduled because Uma was late. So I had an eviction date for her. And so I worked right up until two days before and was, you know, hiring a head of sales. And so wow. it was just, you know, firing on all cylinders. Again, I was in my happy place. This baby made me happy. Um, that didn't hamper, hamper me. But after I had her and I took um, a full eight weeks off, I, when I came back to the company, um, I got really scared because, and uh, really scared, not just joking, because I felt like a doused campfire. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't believe that, you know, in just two months prior to this, I was having, you know, engaging conversations, was able to respond, was able to digest information and, and really parse it out. 
and people would talk to me and I felt like it was just taking forever to get through, wow. you know, and there was just no, it's like there was nothing for the match to strike or, or to light. And it took me a long time to get back up to that momentum, which I did eventually, but it took me two to three months. And from then on, I told every woman, you know, who had a child, you know, that either was a friend of mine or it certainly worked at Fierce was to, you know, give yourself that time and understand that this happens and don't have these expectations that you're going to walk through the threshold and be the person you were and at that level. Right. It's just, you know, to have that grace with yourself. So there was that side. And yes, to the nursing, <laughs> you know, they don't tell you that that's really hard. It's not intuitive. No. It wasn't me. Both, both my wife and I had to bring in a, a wet nurse to basically teach us um, and teach the baby how to do this thing um, because we were both very much in pain. It's like, this is not natural. It is so, yeah, I felt like it was really challenging. <laughs> yes. And I don't know how anyone does it without, like I had weekly appointments with the lactation consultant and I could not have done it without that. <laughs> No, no, I, I was just getting shredded. Yeah. I mean, I was literally, you know, just, it was horrible. And I would just wince when, you know, Uma was coming towards oh. me. But yet I wanted that experience. Right. And, and you know, it was just a couple, you bring someone over and they're like, oh, just do these two things and, and it works. But I think that sometimes there's this pressure of expectation because nobody talks about it. It's like, oh, you and the baby should just know what to do. <laughs> right. That is not the case. That is not the case. We did... Um I did natural childbirth, which I'm not saying that because I'm recommending it to other people because it hurt really bad. But <laughs> um, and I, I'm not sure I would do it again. But I remember in our classes, they talked about like when you do natural childbirth, like your body, like all these things happen on just all on its own. Like the baby just it knows when it's going to come out and like your contractions just in, as opposed to like having drugs, which can kind of slow things down, supposedly. Um, the contractions just kind of help ease the baby out and they made it sound, you know, I was just like, oh, so obviously I just breathe through this and it'll be fine, which was not at all how it went. But <laughs> they also talked about with nursing, they're like, you know, if you, a baby, uh, a newborn baby, if you lay it on its mom's like stomach, it will find its way up to the breast because it's, because nursing is so natural. So it didn't yeah. occur to me that nursing would be anything like it was because I was like, oh, like my baby will just be able to crawl up and eat from the day it's born. Like, what right, can like be a little hard inchworm. about this? Yes. I feel like yes. all the natural people lied to me about every, like about all aspects of it. I know. What is that? What is it with the, the new mom mafia making the rest of us like, you know, maybe it's some rite of passage and they never, right. you know, let us in on the joke. But yeah. So did you yeah, no, I, I heard that too. And I would see the videos of, you know, how a baby was just born and then found its way to the mother's yeah. nipple and was suckling away. And that didn't, so did not happen. <laughs> I was like holding the baby's head, squeezing my boob. Like, <laughs> yes, I, I, oh, get on, get on. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> I'm going to explode. Horrible. And like, yeah, I remember like the different nursing positions too. <laughs> I remember thinking like, yes. it always looks really comfortable when other people nurse. And when I do it, I feel like I'm a contortionist. <laughs> So, yeah, I remember the football hold. That was was Uma's secret position. That was like her magic bullet. So I know. Did did you tell us a little bit about? Um, I know you did IVF for your pregnancy, and then mm -hmm. what? And did you do IVF for both pregnancies? No, we did uh, IUI for uh, for Delhi for um, her pregnancy, and that took us quite a while. Um, 
because we were just kind of you did multiple rounds then yeah and we were a bit unorganized honestly it was like we i don't know let's take a shot at this mm-hmm. um and first we were trying to do it at home and then it's like that i don't think well, i don't think either one of us really know what we're right. doing so then we started to to go into the clinic and i think it was about the third or fourth round that she was she got okay. pregnant with so we did mm-hmm. iui we did um I got pregnant on the fifth round of IUI. So for those of you who listening who don't know what IUI is, it's intrauterine insemination. So that means that the, the, you put a catheter into the uterus to um, inseminate the woman. And with that, the, especially as you get older, your chance of pregnancy is lower than IVF, but it's also much less invasive. It's much less expensive. And so for yes. someone who, like for us, for our infertility issues, it was a viable option for us at that time. Um, now we're looking at potentially a second pregnancy. So we're doing all this fact finding about IVF and Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it is insane. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe, um, I was telling Hallie in our little chat before we started recording that in the last 24 hours, just in fact finding, like we're not even actually doing the IVF stuff yet, but just for the fact finding, I've been to the university of Washington fertility clinic three times in the last 24 hours just for fact finding, just to get some information and have some appointments and check some things out. <laughs> it's a lot. It and like a major job. It- this episode is supported by Nutrafol. Did you know that hair thinning will happen to approximately one in two women? If you're among them, you are not alone. Thinning hair is normal, but it's not openly talked about. So it can feel lonely and frustrating and sometimes even embarrassing when you're going through it yourself. Join the over 1 million people who are doing something about their thinning hair with Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder. So if you are a heavy shedder or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. To get started, you can take their hair quiz on Nutrafol.com, which will give you a personalized health plan based on your special root causes. Nutrafol is committed to helping you identify root causes of any shedding or hair loss so that you can really start to rebuild healthy hair in a way that is customized to you. So take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code SHAMELESS. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com, code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, 
IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. You become a human pincushion. Yeah. You get over your fear of needles real yeah. quick. I'll re- remember the first, like the first set of injections you have to put in your stomach and they're these tiny little needles. Yeah. And I, I remember the first one, I'll never forget. I was standing in front of the fridge, which is where, you know, kept all the, the serum or whatever it was and, and, and pulling up my shirt and standing there with the syringe. And it's like the exact. That's not normal. You don't stick yourself (laughs) with something sharp. And I finally, I kept counting down from like three, two, one, and then no go. I went and pulled the trigger. And finally, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm going to do it. Like, come on, let's go. So counted down three, two, one, and I jabbed it in my stomach. And I immediately pulled it out out of reflex. And I I was looking at it like, damn it. (laughs) Now I got to do it again. And then I jabbed it back in and then squeezed the plunger. But gosh. It really didn't hurt. Um, later on, you know, you start getting them in your, your glutes and, you know, that's what I Vince, learned about today. Vince for you will get to give you shots. And I remember Delhi when I was going through this, um, traveled a lot. So I'd have to, you know, take my syringe and my stuff to the clinic and, you know, ask them, that can somebody shoot this in my butt for me today? You know, yes, that's, they were kind of talking about that protocol today at this little class, that informational class I went to. And they talked about if you're, if you're trans embryo transfer is successful. So if you actually get pregnant via IUI or sorry, via IVF, then they, you have to take progesterone, which is a hormone to keep your uterine lining nice and thick so that the implantation will go like happen and mm-hmm. stay. So then you do this um, progesterone via a shot. And the nurse was like, so the initial shots before the transfer that you do in the belly, she's like, those are really tiny. She's like, the progesterone ones are kind of big and you have to do them every day for 10 weeks uh-huh. <laughs> in your butt and in the muscle. Yeah. And she's like, so they are a little more difficult. You'll definitely need a partner for them. <laughs> yes. I was like, wait a minute. Can we back up to the 10 week part? We do this how many times in 10 weeks? <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. It's like, it's a crazy, crazy commitment. It's I'm, um, when we first talked about IVF, I was very opposed to it. I didn't think I could be that committed. And then I'm like, now I'm going to be like, I'm getting closer and closer to 41. I'm like, this is probably our only viable chance if we're going to do this. And I'm tr- I am still not committed. So I'm like, I'm just not going to think about any of it. And we're just going to go to these 1 million and 10 appointments. And I'm just not going to think about it until we have to actually make a decision. So, yeah, but yeah. Man. I would, al- I would almost say, you know, it, perhaps less might be more at this stage where it's like, you know, just don't get too much, of, you know, TMI, right. you, I was, you get too much and scare yourself. I, know. Off. I was trying to like, not know a whole, I was kind of being like, because I just want to be fact finding and I don't want to be like super analytical, which I can tend to be. So a lot of what I was in my information collecting, I was trying to not overanalyze things and not get too much information. I was like, I'm okay with just like 
<laughs> I trust the doctor to give me the right information and we'll just go with that. Well, then they sent us home with these packets. Actually, they sent me home with these two packets of information. And they're like, you need to go over this with your husband and you both need to sign these that you like understand these like risks and whatever. And so you, you can't not know the information then because you have to sign all this stuff. And so it starts talking about like all these risks and decisions. And if you're going to do embryo banking, if you want to do genetic Uh-oh. testing, and it's all these like things about playing God. And I'm not super religious about fertility, but there's like these huge decisions <laughs> where you're like, oh my God, I don't want to be responsible for this. I wanted this to be just easy, casual. There's nothing yeah. about it that's easy, casual. Welcome to my world. Yeah. yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty big experience. So you have your kids now who are six and eight, you said? That's right. And you've had incredible professional strides and which I think started well before you had them. But a lot of that has taken off as a mom to two young kids. So uh, you have to tell us a little bit about what have your professional leaps been in the last, since you become a mom and then, and how has motherhood impacted um, your professional life? Well, you know, I, um, like I mentioned, you know, we waited until um, we were older to have kids, you know, for any same sex couple, you can't wake up in the morning and be like, surprise, honey, I'm pregnant. (laughs) You know, it's a very thoughtful process. And, um, and you spend a lot of time debating. uh, And um, (laughs) so that's why I, my advice to you was like, you just might want to just go do it and not overthink it. Um, Time gets away from you. And so we, we did, we waited later and that ended up being a great choice for us because we were pretty well established in our careers at that point. Um, so, you know, uh, we didn't have that sort of split focus that happens with a lot of younger parents where you're trying to make a career and figure out what is that for you while you're also starting a family. Um, that's a juggling act I haven't had to do. Um, so when we had kids, I was the CEO um, or COO of a company called Fierce, which is a training organization that focused on creating connection through the art and skill of conversation. And um, uh, had Nico when I was there and and then Uma um, and was with that company for about 10 years. And, and it's only been fairly recently that I've left to uh, write my own book and, and start my own business based on what I was seeing out there in the field. Um, but, you know, it, it was, a, it's always a struggle, right? You know, especially when you're, you know, at the, at, when Nico was two, I became CEO. I was um, given the task of, of growing the company. And there's a lot involved. And it definitely pulls you in a lot of different directions. I would imagine. I can't quite imagine. Like, I'm CEO of my company of me, and I feel like that pulls <laughs> me in a lot of directions. So. Yeah, you know, and, and you, you start to... I, I was fortunate, and I think my employees were fortunate, that their CEO did have a life outside of, of work. And and this notion of work-life balance has always been important to me, even way back when, you know, Vince and I were sharing office, you know, walls together um, in my 20s with real networks. I would draw certain lines between, no, I won't stay. There are some days, yes, I will sleep overnight in my beanbag chair um, to help with a, a software launch. But there are some days when other things are important right. um, and I won't. And I... 
that's always been important to me. So as I became um, a mother and really, really understood, I mean, I thought I knew what the challenges were for women and for men, but I didn't. I really didn't get it. Um, and, um, you know, prior to having kids, I had policies that I thought were flexible and helpful. <laughs> like, you know, you can telecommute. How about we do telecommuting on Tuesdays and Thursdays? Like, you know, then everybody can be gone. And then that way we can make sure we're all here. and We can have meetings on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, you know, and, and it didn't really help the stress. And then I realized why it's because because life doesn't happen on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, <laughs> life happens at Monday at 1.44 p.m. You know, you just don't know. And so. I really worked to ease the burden. So I, you know, shifted all the policies. I, I, um, you know, took out the very um, sort of limiting PTO policy to unlimited PTO, um, total flex time, telecommuting, you know, really built a culture around um, personal accountability. It's like, you know, if you can work with your cohorts, if you can deliver on your expectations, you know, exceed or over exceed, you're a great fit here and you can keep on keeping on. Um, and if you're aligned with your passion as well, because that'll show up in your results. Um, and if you're not, you know, if you can't manage yourself that way, then you'll fail here. Um, <clears throat> but that, you know, and then the company just blew through growth. I mean, we just went bananas. It was like the more, the more I let go of controlling things that I thought, you know, I needed to control or keep an eye on, um, the more it's like the more oxygen the fire could get and, and, and we just went gangbusters oh, that's, that's so cool. i love to see more organizations you know bring in policies like that and i actually like to continue i, I did a lot of, of writing on articles and um radio shows and such on that topic specifically and that's a conversation i'm not prepared to leave even though i've left Right. sort of corporate America. I want to keep pressing on that one. And it is, I think it is shifting like slowly, <laughs> but surely it's shifting. Um, I wish it was a little faster, <laughs> but me too. Me too. It, I mean, you know, it's like as moms, you know, and dads out there, we have enough pressure and stress right? to, and, and, and for the most part, we all, want to be successful. You know, it's, it's actually very rare that you hire someone or find someone that just wants to do kind of marginal work. Right. You know, we all want to feel good about ourselves. It's, you know, for employers, like, you don't really have to worry about that. Instead, let's give environments that ease stress so that people can build, you know, we're actually more productive. Right. So people can do their um, best work. Can do their best work when they do their best work under the circumstances in which they do it. Right. Yeah. So when you were at the time that um, that you were CEO of the company, did you one of the things that I've noticed, and I think I have to do a whole episode about this at some point, because um, it's a conversation I've been having with people recently. But there's this thing that happens when you become a mom in a, in a heterosexual relationship. When you become a mom, I've noticed among my mom friends, and it definitely this includes me, is that you become a mom and that's like your new job. But then also there's this like family manager role that you take on that no one tells you about. And I like, you certainly don't volunteer for it. It just seems to happen. So in addition mm -hmm. to like me, I'm running two businesses and being the mom. And then Vince just got work out. He was working for himself in our house and he's recently got work outside of the house. So he's now out of the house during the day. 
I have this role of family manager where there's all these things that just happen to become my job and not at all because my husband wouldn't do them. It's just the kinds of things that women tend to do without thinking about it. And then there's an expectation that they do them because they've already started doing them, such as like the kids laundry or emptying the dishwasher, those kinds of things. So how was that for you and for Deli when you, when you were in that CEO position and did like, did she take on kind of the family manager role or is that something you guys have both, I'm just thinking two women. I feel like the women are always the ones who take that role. Do you guys divide it? Oh, you know what you said, remind me what you said earlier about, you know, you start doing something and then it's like, well, now I'm doing it. I'll keep doing it. And that reminds me of the best advice my grandmother ever gave me, which was don't learn how to iron. (laughs) You know, this was assuming I would grow up and marry a nice young man who needed his button downs, you know, iron. She's like, don't, don't, don't learn how to iron. It's like, what, what? It's like, because then it'll become an expectation. Totally. I was like, okay. So I still do not know how to iron. Neither Um, do I. Vince irons his own clothes, which is rare. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. And now they've come up with these fabrics that we don't really need to, which is great. Um, But, um, you know, there's there's something to that, right? I mean, I, I had an option. I... I was already, and, and th- this would become a, a source of uh, uh, friction between Deli and I at times because, you know, here I was in my job, very high stakes, you know, um, lots of livelihoods on my shoulders. Um, you know, if the company wasn't profitable and growing, um, then somebody would need to be laid off, you know, and and managing all of this energy, you know, so you're managing the culture and the energy, then you're managing the strategies and setting those. And, and that, that's what I did all day. And I, you know, I thought about it at night. And so to come home and, you know, you know, Delhi would be like, okay, so the preschool, the Montessori, you know, like we need to apply for this. Can you fill out this section? It's like, no, I don't <laughs> like, what? I don't want to, you know, it's like to sit down and kind of interview me and let's figure this out together. And even then, sometimes it would be for her, it would be pulling teeth. Right. And I totally know the, the capacity that it takes because Deli has taken on that role. And now with both kids in school, I mean, she was just at their school yesterday doing a parent reader thing. You know, she has taken it on herself to do all of those things to show up and be part of the kids school community um, and to make sure their well child checks are taken care of. And I realize now how incredibly fortunate I am because I see how much time that takes. And I, I honestly, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I mean, you know, if she wasn't here, if she disappeared, uh, I would have to take that on. But, um, you know, I, I admire anyone that takes on that role because it is, you know, that's sort of the other thing they don't tell you about, you know, like nursing doesn't come naturally and all these things that happen after birth, you know, that you're dealing with. It's um, like, wow, these kids, <laughs> even if, even if you don't, because I don't have my kids signed up, you know, in sports full time because um, I just I can't even, you know, that's like a whole nother layer I can't handle. Another I need free time. Totally. Yeah. It's like even just with them breathing air in your space and that responsibility it takes to like keep them functioning and social and happy. That's a lot more to manage. I've, I've taken to um, making sure I tell Vince on a regular basis, like all the appointments that I've made because I hate making appointments and, and I feel like 
Like, is it just my kid? Like, it seems like there's always something that his get his ears checked and get his skin checked mm-hmm. and get his teeth checked. Like, there's just always something. And we have one. I cannot imagine what it's like for people who have multiple children or kids who get sick a lot. Like, he doesn't get sick that often, but it still seems like we're at the doctor. I mean, it goes in spurts, but there's times where I'm like, seriously, do we just come here every week? <laughs> like, and just give some money and hang out for a while? <laughs> That's why by the time the second one comes around, you're like, yeah, you can eat off the floor right. and... Ah, here's some Tylenol. I'll walk it off, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. So yeah, I try to make sure now that I tell Vince when I have to go to great lengths to like make appointments and find babysitters and all that. I'm like, well, I just want you to know I texted 13 people today. <laughs> yes, I think that's so really. I, I hope important. your day was great because I had to text yeah. 13 people. <laughs> I know I don't get away with uh, too much anymore. Of you know, gee, I spent all this time writing today or whatever, you know, because um, Deli will just be like. Really? Okay. Well, I was here, here, and here, and here. And the kids needed this and that because, you know, Nico can't do gluten. So I fixed him a special dinner and all this. Like, okay, yeah, I'll do the dishes. Totally. So you're, you left Fierce, your your position Mm -hmm. as CEO. And now, um, did you, did you do that primarily because you wanted to write the book or were you, were you kind of, have you been putting this together as you go? You know, I, I knew I wanted to write a book, um, you know, was sort of, you know, happening during my time at Fierce, although at that time it was going to be a book on how to obtain um, this work-life balance, which I personally find to be a, a bullshit term, if you will, because A, there is no such thing as balance, and B, when you pit work and life against each other, somebody has to lose. Right. Um, and and work should be part of life. Um, <clears throat> so uh, what I was looking at there was, you know, how do we incorporate work into life? You know, how do we as managers and leaders make this seamless so that people don't feel like they are walking through all these different thresholds each day with all these different, you know, stressors? We can't get rid of all the stressors, but we, you know, what can we mitigate? Um, because what I was seeing out there when I was speaking um, having conversations with others was, you know, my, what I was speaking on at that time was, you know, the fact that people, um, don't know how to connect necessarily with one another. Um, and, and we use all these strategies and tools and we forget about this very simple and very free tool of conversation, Mm -hmm. you know, of just showing up eyeball to eyeball, getting out from your email, um, and text and really creating connection through conversation. And, and I was working with, with people on that and I would hear a lot of stories about how this impacted their personal life, which is great because people tend to take it home first. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the conversation started to shift about five years ago. And what I, what I began to realize is that, okay, all right, there is an issue still of how do we connect with one another. Um, It makes me crazy when I see a mother or a father especially pushing their kid on the swing and looking at their cell phone with the other hand, even though the kid can't see you, you know, where he or she is aware you're not connected. I just, I have to like restrain myself. (laughs) Um, It's like, you know, Okay, so that's uh, that's a whole different soapbox. <laughs> get on, I won't because I Which, spent ten years on that one. But you know, so so there is that there is that challenge. Um, 
But what is really sort of the epidemic that's going on now is that we've taken it even a step further and we, we've lost connection with ourselves. We've really become disconnected from our own life source, our own passion, our own, you know, sort of expectations of what this life can be about. We're sicker than we've ever been. We're um, taking more prescription drugs than, you know, anywhere in the country. We are more obese. Um, you know, there's, there's all of these indicators. We are way off on a bad track right now. And so I left Fierce when I realized that that's, you know, sort of where I was being called to. And I wanted to work instead of working in corporate America and on the person-to-person dynamic um, that I really wanted to work in personal transformation and get to that core as well as do that own work on myself because I was living a very high-flying life as a CEO and, and, you know, knocking down a lot of great achievements in our very achievement-based society thinking that all these flags I was collecting and trophies would make me happy. And, and I was becoming more and more empty. Um, and, and, you know, it's to what we've learned to do and, and what, you know, all of technology and what's available to us has sort of taught us to do is to find our self-worth, you know, outside to get gratification from outside means. And we've forgotten how to self-generate that self-worth. So that is what the book is about. That is, you know, that will be my focus, hopefully, knock on wood, for the next, you know, decade. Um, I can be part of that conversation and, and helping others take their fragmented lives, all these pieces. Right. Um, some that we're aware of, some we've totally forgotten about, bring all those into view and collect them again. So we can have this, you know, whole, live wholeheartedly. Right. And what's the, can you share the name of the book with us? Yes, it's uh, Life Incorporated. A Practical Guide to wholehearted, wholehearted Living. Nice. And that will be out in January, correct? Will, yes. So we'll, we'll, hopefully we can reconnect before then and um, talk a little bit, uh, maybe do a, an episode just on that because I would love to get some specifics on that and make sure that we get – I know many of our listeners – would benefit from um, the purchase of that book. So <laughs> I will definitely want to point people as we get closer to January, point people in that direction. Um, I think I so agree with everything that you said about connectedness and how it has shifted and in connection to oneself. I've been, I joke about how I'm a really bad meditator, even though you're not supposed, mm-hmm. supposedly you can't be bad at meditation. And it's really, it's the connection with myself and the connection with being mindful of what I'm doing instead of always thinking three steps ahead or keeping track of lists of what I need to do every day. And where I, so I can see, like, I feel like I'm connected to certain relationships really well, because that is part of what I do with my work. And mm-hmm. my, the relationships I have with work are really significant in my business as being successful. But my connection to myself suffers because I get more focused on my relationships with other people and driving business forward. And so I like literally can't sit by myself. I was actually given an assignment recently to go walking without to go walking first, which is not my favorite thing. And I would much rather I walk when you can run. <laughs> right. Well, right. And I'm like, it just takes way longer. <laughs> Why yeah, exactly. would I do that? I could be more efficient. Right. I can get from A to B. And, yeah, exactly. So walking and then without music or podcasts or anything. Uh, and I, it's, it's like painful. So I've made concessions where I'm like, okay, like I'll walk for 20 minutes with a podcast and then I'll turn around and walk 20 minutes home in silence. And like 90% of the time, I don't, I can't do it. Like I can't, 
turn off whatever I'm listening to because I'm engaged in that connection. And I don't, and I was told like the person who was advising me on this was like, you need to just like focus on your breath. And I'm like, why would I want to just listen to myself breathe for 20 minutes? Like I could be learning from someone on this podcast. <laughs> it's just yeah, so you know, hard. I- it is hard, and and that's what we have, we feel like we sh- we always need yes. to be depositing something yes. or upping our game or you know getting more likes, getting more follow- followers. I mean, that's what we're we're doing. That's what we're trying to cultivate. But you know, really, it's just kicking up the dust around ourselves. We're not right. going anywhere meaningful. And you know, I um, I said this in the the book. I know for you know years the and having done a lot of public speaking, I can relate to this because I'm a introvert. Um, I don't, you know, I can't spend too much time with a whole bunch of people and I don't necessarily think I'm, you know, the brightest person in the room. So why am I on stage? Um, (laughs) but you know, so there's, you know, the greatest uh, fear over death is public speaking. And I wonder now if that has been surpassed, if the greatest fear would be being alone with oneself with nothing to do. Put me on a stage any day over being alone by myself. I know it's, you know, and it's really interesting. And I am right there with you. I am all about what can I show? I'm all about, you know, the, the yang, you know, what can I do? I am, you know, there's a lot of type A people out there and I'm a triathlete. I mean, I have all the most, you know, worst symptoms (laughs) out there, you know? And, and so this, this book, this work is really required to, you know, check myself on, on a lot of this. Um, but it's, you know, it's, uh, there is a chapter on mindfulness, um, on, you know, creating that, that stillness, um, which, which is important. You know, I, I use the visual analogy of a tree to represent a life. And, and usually we have one or two, maybe three areas that we're really strong at, but we're completely neglecting another. For me, it was, um, in the, the soil or the foundation, there's your inner life and your physical well-being, right? Sort of your spiritual, emotional, physical health. Your roots are your inspiration. You know, what are you passionate about? This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earnin can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. 
So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. Um, What turns you on? Why do you think you're here on this planet? Um, the branches of the tree are your expression. So your vocation, your avocation, your, the ways that you play, the key relationships or those roles of being a mom. We have all these ways that we can express our passions. We tend to lean towards vocation to be the answer to everything. But we've got all these options. And then the leaves on the tree are our impact. And those are really the relationships that are sitting atop of each of those expressions. So for me, you know, as a mom, one of those branches, you know, at the end are Nico and Uma. Um, Because I, you know, in my vocation, well, now as an author at the end of those, you know, um, that branch are the public, you know, at the end of wife is, is Delhi, you know, we can be really great. And I was really, really good. I had these amazing branches, you know, just really looking good. I had, um, you know, was built physically very well. Fitness is, is a huge priority for me. I like to exert energy. Um, it's also my creative space, but I, my inner life, you know, being connected to myself in sort of that more spiritual grounded way was completely devoid. And it's, you know, when, when we don't pay attention to that, to that foundation, what we're sitting in, 
we can look magnificent and we can get blown over. Mm-hmm. It's one really bad day, mm-hmm. which is what happened to me, essentially. And, and so it forced me to look there. And so, so the book is really all of my own experiences with the experiences that I've had out there as an executive coach and, and speaking with others about how we can bring all these things back into view. And we can start where we need to start, right? You know, I, maybe I'm really good in my foundation and I'm in tune with my passion and I have found ways to express it. But is my tree always in winter, as in my relationships are broken? Right. You know, um, I've got a lot to show, but I'm not... I'm not being kind. I'm not giving attention where it's needed. People are walking away from me. What's happening? You know, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And it's, um, I think it's something that also is like constantly in flux. And I think for moms, because I think there's, there's a lot of chapters of motherhood. And especially I think for the parent that is, if there's a parent that's more at home than the other, because there is like the, era before school starts and then there's like the era of grade school and then there's and then middle school and high school you have a little more space to be you don't have to be so on top of I mean you have to be on top of certain things for sure but the child doesn't want to be as connected to you so you have a little more space to pursue your own passions and so I feel like there's these different phases or chapters of motherhood where you can be more connected to your own passions and then there's other phases where you can't be at all and I know like you know I call it newborn land that first year where like you can't be connected to anything except for that baby for better or worse and no matter what your passions are and so I think that um there's an ebb and a flow or like you you know you talk about the seasons of the tree it's mm-hmm. it's a lot to consider and a lot to keep track like a lot to um be responsible like you have to be responsible for yourself during all of that and keep continue to find yourself in all of that because it is such a fluctuating and evolving process. It is. It's organic, right? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you know, we, we change, we shift, we start to lean towards the sun in one way and, and, and and our form changes. And yet we don't, a lot of times we don't acknowledge that or we don't admit that to ourselves and we keep on sort of keeping on or trying to live the life or, you know, it's like, Oh, I said I was going to be a doctor. I got to be, you know, I got to keep doing that. Or, um, I, you know, set, I, I set this down in stone or at one point this was important. And then we just sort of go through the motions and we keep fulfilling that. But then our own personal fulfillment starts to wane. And then we start doing these other things, you know, I don't know, buy a new car or we, you know, pick up a new hobby that takes over our lives. You know, things start popping up that, um, are indicators like, you know, maybe something is off somewhere else. Um, and, and we need to take a look at that. And, and I think that's important. Um, we change all the time. You know, humans, we adapt. We're constantly changing our minds, you know, changing everything about ourselves. So we need to allow ourselves to change in these bigger areas of our lives. Definitely. You know, Definitely. Have those second, third, fourth careers. Have those slash careers. Yeah. Uh, and be okay with, I love the example that you gave of, you, you, you always said you thought you want, or someone's thinking that they always want to be a doctor. So they're just going to do that. And I know mm-hmm. the, and the reason that we actually ended up connecting for this podcast was because Vince sent me your article on purpose versus passion. And which is, a, you know, very much in line with like, well, I said I was going to be a doctor when I was 12. So obviously I'm going to go to med school and I'm going to do that until I'm, until I retire. And that is not really how things work anymore. And I think that moms, um, professional, well, moms, not even a necessarily professionally, but we mix up purpose and passion. Um, and those boundaries get really, um, 
skewed. <laughs> and we, I don't know that I kind of feel like I don't know what my passions are anymore because I've had to do so many things from a place of purpose. So can you talk a little bit about the pursuit of passion and how we rationalize our decisions to make our passions feel purposeful? Yeah, you know, that the article was, was um, geared on, you know, there's, there's sort of two things we can focus on. You know, one is, you know, do we follow our passion or do we pursue a life's purpose? You know, do we figure out what our life's purpose is and then, and then go after that? And so I was sort of debating that. Um, and Daniel Kahneman, who is a Nobel you know, winning um, author or in the area of, um, oh my goodness, uh, economy, wrote a book called, let me just remind myself of it. <laughs> well, you're reminding yourself of the name of the book. Everyone can just listen to my bo- my dog who's barking like crazy at the UPS man upstairs. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear I it. Say, yeah, <laughs> I can hear it. Every I time I want to record that. something, the UPS man has to come <laughs> and the dog goes insane. Okay, so so um, thank you for that distraction, dog. Because you, you know I could look down at my notes, but so his book is called Thinking Fast and Slow, and and this book, his work, you know, won him a Nobel Prize in um, economy because what he proved is, you know, he he found that there's sort of two systems that people operate under or ways of thinking. There's system one and system two. System one is very fast, automatic, frequent, emotional, subconscious um, sort of way of processing and making decisions. And system two is slow, effortful, logical, calculating, conscious. And in his studies, he found that most people make their decisions through system one thinking. So in other words, we're very emotional. We act for emotional reasons first. You know, and then... And then we back it up with rationale. So, you know, it's um, for me when I purchased, you know, stood in line and bought the first iPhone. Um, Did I need that (laughs) phone? No, I didn't have a PDA. There was no like there was no really good reason for me to spend that kind of time and money on a phone. But, you know, I was so I so wanted it that I stood in line and I got it got it. And what I did is I backed it up. I backed up my, my, you know, decision by saying, well, you know, my life really is getting busier. Um, I'm sure that this could help. All these people must know something. They look very smart and, and, you know, hip. Um, <laughs> I have an Apple laptop. So this, this oh, would be, obviously. It's this good, would it's be like the, the tool. companion. It's the yeah, little friend. Yeah, exactly. They are just going to, you know, oh, and I get an unlimited plan. So I'm going to save money somehow by spending all this money. I'm going to save money in doing this. And that's, that's what we do. Um, and so w- what that really um, lays out for us is that, you know, emotions are driving the boat. Um, they're really at work in our lives, in the decisions that we make um, for the most part. Obviously, there are reasons that we make, you know, decisions we make for very thoughtful, um, you know, when it's more mission critical. But I, um, you know, when I was leading Fierce and when I would sit on panels and whenever I've listened to panels, um, it doesn't matter who you're asking, if it's um, Richard Branson or, or somebody else, it's like, you know, give us, you know, what's your top piece of advice? It's always 
follow your passion. What does that mean? It means do that which stirs your soul. Um, because if you're not pursuing that, then, you know, this may sound weird. You know, I don't believe in God per se, but I think in the universe, there's something about the universe that's at work with us, um, whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. And when we pursue, when we get in the vein of that, which we are really passionate and have emotion around, we are compelled by something other than ego to do, we're rewarded. Right. Um, and we make an impact. We make an impact. And that impact brings us more joy or more opportunities of joy and fulfillment, that real fulfillment that can't be bought off a store shelf. Um, purpose, you know, I... I find purpose to be a rear view mirror kind of a thing. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to say, okay, well, you know, here's a screw. Um, it has a purpose, right? Its purpose is to pierce through two planes of material and fasten them together. That's its purpose. It's also an inanimate object and it's not going to change its mind. It doesn't have any emotions. Right. It's just going to do what it does. And, and I, I think it's very difficult um, or it makes me nervous when people sort of define what their purpose is in life. Like, my purpose is to be this because it gets us very narrow-minded mm. and, it, and it blocks out the emotions. Um, it's a cerebral exercise. And, um, and I, so when it comes to, you know, which should be leading, which should be our North Star, I would put passion first. I think our purpose follows. I think that's revealed, revealed by, through the act of us following what compels us. And then we look back on our life or during a particular era and say, ah, that was the purpose. Right. That's what I did. Yeah. So what would you say um, for someone who, you know, to make ends meet, you have to take a job that it fulfills a specific purpose, purpose to like to pay your family bills. It's not related yeah. to your passion. It's not anything but it's like, you know, that you can do the job and get the money that you need to get you through a certain phase in your life or to get, you know, to make sure you can pay your mortgage during a certain time or along those lines. Like how to, where, where, how does, how does that all fit into your definition of purpose? Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's, that's purpose, right? And, and that, you know, vocation alone, you know, that comes typically there is a, you know, an underlying, a very important, um, almost equal uh, factor um, a purpose in that this has to pay the bills, right. you know, because it takes money to exist in our world. Um, we have to earn money. Um, and so with a vocation that is at play mm-hmm. and you have to fulfill that purpose of getting a vocation, you know, having a vocation. Right. Otherwise we wouldn't have vocations. Right. We'd just be able to do whatever the hell we wanted to do. <laughs> you know, um, we wouldn't have these things called jobs. Right. Um, you know, if, if you can have a vocation uh, that not only fulfills its very practical purpose in your life of just paying the bills, uh, but you can plug into some element of your passion, sometimes you have to get creative about it, mm-hmm. right? You know, you have to kind of find your way into, it's like, okay, I'm an account executive, 
I'm not sure that spending all this time entering stuff into a computer is my passion, but you know what? I really do, you know, I really love people and making connections. So how can I, when I do speak with clients, how can I really leverage that and make the most out of that and, and put my creativity to use here? Um, because then you start becoming that star performer in a role that no one expected because you're doing stuff no one thought of because you are in your passion. You're pursuing that. Right. You're in it. Right. So sometimes you have to find, you know, there's a vein somewhere that you can tap into and you can, you can get into, then you're lifted out, but then you can go back in. And so over time you can wedge that and drill that more and more open. Um, and that's just going to show up. Everyone's going to notice it when you start playing in your playground and I think or go ahead well or and if you can't have that in a vocation if that's just not possible then you you have you need an avocation yeah uh, or you need that slash career you need your plan b um a place for you to play to express that passion and potentially that slash career that plan b could become plan a over time if you grow it yes And I've used my own example of my prior career. I used to work with kids in a psychiatric hospital. And when I knew I wanted to leave at the time, I was really into fitness on a personal level. And I was doing a lot of triathlons and a lot of distance running. And I, that was my personal passion. And I was going to go back to school to get my master's in teaching and become a teacher. And when I looked at the cost of going into a master's in teaching program versus the cost of getting my personal trainer certification, I was like, I'm not really sure this makes sense. And I wasn't going to, I was going to be done, you know, finish my master's in teaching and make the exact same amount of money I was already making at the hospital, but I would have been like $30,000 in debt. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know. And then I thought I'm going to just do this thing that I'm really passionate about because even if it doesn't work out, I've gotten to do something that like I've learned about something that will fuel my soul and what I love doing in my free time for a really long time. So that makes it um, purposeful enough and, and meaningful enough to me. And then it just completely took on a life of its own. Like once I took that leap, um, it took on such a life of its own. And it made me realize what it was, you know, it made it so startling to me to see the difference between work and my passion and work that was not in my passion. And when I started my hospital job, I really loved it. And working with kids was definitely in my passion at that time. But when I got out and got and followed this pursuit of the fitness stuff, uh, I was blown away by how fun it was to do that versus doing something like my mom had been a teacher. My mom had had a career for 42 years. My dad had had his career for 25 years. And so to go out and do this kind of thing where I'm going to build my own business and like maybe just do it for a few years. And I don't really, there wasn't like a clear cut plan or path was not my personality type at all. (laughs) But I definitely found this new thing where I was like, Oh, I can like do something that I really love and build upon that and build a whole life around it. And that was like shocking to me because that wasn't what I had seen done in my family on either side of the family. Um, so which, and that was, that was really cool. And that definitely has fueled me in motherhood and in the evolution of my work. Um, that's fueled me so much to like, not be okay with like, if I get burnt out, I need to listen to that and be like, okay, like right. we're not going to stay here anymore because this is not a good place for me to be. That's right. And to realize that passion can hop around yeah. like a flame, you know, and, and to be okay with that and not to hold and grasp onto something right. um, and try to keep it there because it, it will start to decay. Yes. Whether you want it or not, it'll just start to decay yes. and you'll be forced to let go. Yeah. Um, so I, I think so. So 
given your, let me turn the tables on you. I mean, <laughs> given the fact that you, you know, you, you like outcomes, you like plans and that your family is very different. What was it that convinced you to make this, this, you know, sort of somewhat irrational, you know, leap to, um, to fitness? Um, well, I think from a practical standpoint, it was so much cheaper. <laughs> and so it was the difference between, and I'm like very practical with numbers. And so I was like, okay, it's like $30,000 versus $6,000. So it, it seemed very low risk to me to do, to pursue the fitness option. And when I started looking at numbers at like how much money I could make, I was like, oh, I could make like way more money. So this could be really fun. And mm-hmm. I, for the first time, like just this tiny little bit of entrepreneurship kind of came in to my head and I, for, it still took me years to actually get to the point of like, oh, I want to have my own business and all that. But I, I just started to see this little glimmer of like, oh, I could do things a little differently than what I've been modeled. And that might be fun. And also my, I know my dad never, I, like always hated his job. And my mom was, loved her job at a time. But by the time she retired, she could very openly say that she had been burned out for quite a while. And mm-hmm. so I, I knew I didn't want to go to a place where I was just going to be like discontent within a couple of years because I, and that's where I was with my hospital job. So I think that it was kind of a combination of like seeing what my parents had done, wanting it to be a little bit different, wanting to have a little more enthusiasm for a little bit longer. Um, and then also like the money piece <laughs> being like, Oh, this is cheap. Let's try it. Yeah. You know, and that's a great thing. You know, today there are so many options, yeah. you know, you've got, whether you're an artist, I mean, there's sites like Etsy, there's all these great ways that you can, you know, it's much more of a lower barrier for us, for this generation. Yes. We can start a fitness studio or we can start, you know, we, we can be a craftsman or craftswoman and, 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 and play in these spaces without so much at stake, right. which, which was more the case for um, previous generations. Plus, the government will be bankrupt anyway, right? There's no, we won't have Social Security. So let's just let it fly, you know? (laughs) Right. But you're going to have to work forever. So you may as well have like make a list of your passions and how you can make money off them. (laughs) Exactly. You'll have a really interesting resume. Right. So how do you think, how would you encourage moms to step into their pursuit of passion rather than, rather than trying to just fall, fall in line with a purpose? Well, I think, you know, part of that is giving yourself permission to be that whole person Mm -hmm. again. You know, it's like coming back to you before you um, had kids. You know, I I know I I studied acting. I had just joined a theater company, which was sort of my big goal. Um, Had a very, you know, always a house full of people. And then we had Nico and (laughs) (laughs) everything changed, you know, and. And that was fine because he became my passion. Right. I mean, I, I was fascinated by this little guy. Plus, there were no boys in my family, you know. I mean, there was my dad, but I had a sister, and all her, my mother's side was all girls. And it's like, oh, my God, it's a boy. Yeah. Look at him. He's <laughs> fascinating. And, wow, he just pointed at a backhoe, you know, yeah. like, wow, it really is ingrained in them. And, and um, so... He was my playground, you know, and I would travel a lot. I, I would do crazy, you know, I'd have to go out to New York to speak. I would come home the same night just so I could wake up in the same house oh my as you know, my new little family. Yeah. That's where I wanted to be. And five, and then I had, I had Uma. When she was three, I started to feel this 
sort of void, this emptiness, like something in me was just started to start collapsing. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, what is this? I didn't know what it was. Um, and I fell into it um, through uh, picking up running again. Um, I got my company to do a, a 5K and in the process of having them do that to raise some money, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I used to be a college athlete, like my body, my body, like I miss my body, you know, and, and testing its limits. And what can I do with this thing um, besides, you know, just serve my kids? And so then I got back into, you know, I found my, my current avocation, which is a, a triathlete, you know, and it evolved over time from running into to triathlon that's my place. That's my space right now. Right. Um, while I was at fierce, you know, yeah, I was passionate about what I did at the time, but then when I realized that that, that was shifting, I realized, you know, I needed to pull myself out and take a big risk. And, and I had the ability to do that, but this is a really long winded way of saying, you know, what was it you were doing before you had your kids? Um, I was acting, I didn't want to go back to acting. I found my body to be the place I wanted to play in. Um, but it might be a starting point for you. Right. <clears throat> and then, and then t- to realize also that, you know, for, for those moms and, and dads that feel like everything has to be for junior, um, realize that the best example you can give, you know, your child is the example of the life that you're living They want to see mom or dad happy, engaged, excited about life, doing what they love, you know, jumping up and down on the seat. So excited about the thing they just accomplished that, you know, the baby is because, you know, they just got a piece of food in their mouth. I mean, that's (laughs) like that's what you want to be modeling because that, you know, that's what you want for your child. You want them to do that. So guess what? You have to lead the way. That's I, I. I totally agree with that. And I think that that's, I try to let that be my like guiding perspective is like, how do I want Vinny? I don't want Vinny to see me burned out and cranky. Yeah. <laughs> There's certainly days know, that that happens, but I don't want it to be the norm. Yeah, exactly. And that's, yeah, that's part. It's cause it's always good to have your kids somewhat scared of you. Like yes, she could yes. be a little crazy. Like she might just be a little bit right. crazy. You just want to have it. Like, yes. He, yeah, he exactly. should always tiptoe a little bit around me. Yeah, that's just good, healthy, parenting I think so um but yeah you know it's like you don't want your child to play it safe so you know I'd rather have my kids see me you know play big you know play courageously um and and fall hard and watch how I pick myself back up and that I can um and that maybe they'll even help me do that Um, rather than give them this sanitized version of life that I don't think really exists anyway they're going to be going up and down you know in their lives. So let's, let's demonstrate that. Definitely. I love that. Okay, Hallie. So we have come to our little lightning round here. We're going to do the shameless mommy minute where we ask really important questions like <laughs> what, what your wine preferences are. So um, thank you for everything in the interview so far. This is, I'm so excited for your book. Like I said, I do want to have you come back when you're closer to the book launch so that we can dive into that a little bit more and make sure that we get our readers connected with the book. Um, but thank you for everything that you have given us today, because I think that you've left us with some really inspirational um, bits of information or um, bits of knowledge here that are really powerful in terms of 
having moms look at their life and how they can go back to their roots, but not necessarily have to stay, um, cling to what used to be and mm-hmm. have that permission to like, look at what used to be. And then where do you want to grow from there? Um, and do that over the course of which, you know, that will take on a few different iterations probably over the course of motherhood. So, and also thank you for sharing about your family life. I'm fascinated by how families come to be. And I love that it, there is no cookie cutter anymore. Like it's all, I grew up, I went to Catholic grade school and high school. So there was a lot of, a lot of cookie cutters around me. And (laughs) even though I was in Seattle, it was still, I was, I went to school, um, right near Broadway, which is one of the probably more diverse areas in Seattle at the time was definitely one of the more diverse areas in Seattle, but still like diversity at Seattle prep was not a big thing. Let me tell you. So I love being in Seattle now with the families. Like there's no model family. It's all shapes, sizes, picture, you know, colors, which is really nice. So thank you for sharing your family story. So jumping into the lightning round, go ahead and tell us red wine or white wine, red wine, Pinot Noir. Oh, nice. Oh, that's Vince's favorite too. Yeah, Willamette Valley. I oh, think they've got it. So they've good. got it nailed. Yeah, so good. Current book that you're reading, or the last one that you read? Well, I've been writing a book for a while, <laughs> so that's been a little bit of too much navel gazing. But the last book I read before I started that was uh, "The Coaching Habit" by Michael Bungay Stanier. Okay. Favorite non-work related thing to do with time to yourself? Oh, getting on my bike. Nice. Going for a nice long ride. Nice. Even in the Seattle rain. Are you? Are you? Yeah, I know. I finally figured out how to keep my toes warm. Oh, yeah. Now I can go all day. Perfect. What's one morning ritual you can't live without? Well, coffee, my cup of coffee and my um, gratitude exercise. Oh, nice. Every morning. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Who was your biggest inspiration? My dad. Oh, do you want to tell us why? He was, um, he just retired. He was a teacher. Uh, for, you know, his entire career. He was also a coach. He coached girls volleyball in high school and he was my coach, which made it, you know, horrible. (laughs) He beat up on me a lot, um, but he also made me a really good player. But I, I watched him. Whoops. What was that? I don't know. That was a cool sound. I didn't hear it. (laughs) Oh, you didn't? I did. It went boing, boing. Oh, really? Uh, Oh, funny. I didn't hear it. (laughs) Okay. So, we could just kind of edit around this or not, or just leave it in. What right. the hell? Um, <laughs> so he, he could take any girl, um, five foot two or six foot two, you know, and uncoordinated and turn them into champions. Oh, awesome. That's yeah. really cool. If you could mm-hmm. give all moms one superpower, what would it be and why? Okay. So I was thinking about this last night as I was laying in bed. And I was like, what would it be? Would it be um, the uh, sort of insta-tidy-matic? Because I like tidy, I like a tidy house. Or it could be, you know, the guilt eradic- eradicator for when I snap at my kids and I feel horrible. <laughs> and then I looked over at Deli and I said, okay, what would, what superpower? And she said, more energy. Oh, yes. <laughs> so I was like, that's it. It's, it's not just more energy. It's like, I love Wonder Woman. So I'm picturing a nice you know, a thick bracelet yeah. that you can tap and your energy will match your kids. Oh, that, that's such a good one. Right? You have and to tell Kelly, can... thank you for that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really good one. Um, yeah, I would, I could use that. That's even more powerful than coffee. <laughs> I, know, I know, exactly. 
like, yeah, maybe we won't need coffee. Right, right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for spending time with us today on the Shameless Mom Academy. And please come back and visit again. I will. I will. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Sarah. Hallie. All right. All right. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with Hallie, you can find her at HallieBock.com. That's H-A-L-L-E-Y-B-O-C-K.com. And you can find her on Instagram where her book to be has its own Instagram page. So you can find Life Incorporated on Instagram and that's at life.incorporated. I have both of those pages linked up on the show notes. If you go to shamelessmom.com, you'll see those both on the show notes for today's episode, episode 30 with Hallie Bach. And then I also am posting a link on those show notes for the article that initially made me want to connect with Hallie and that's the passion or purpose article. So you can get all that information over on shamelessmom.com for the show notes for episode 30. If you love today's episode, make sure to share it out. If this is the first time you're listening into the Shameless Mom Academy, know that you can find us here every Monday and Wednesday with a new episode. And if you want to hear more, definitely go into iTunes, subscribe so that you can get our episodes as soon as they're released. While you're in iTunes, feel free to leave us a five-star review. You can find us in iTunes if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will allow us Uh, allow you to subscribe, to leave a review, to search around and see all the other episodes we've already done. So all sorts of good stuff there at shamelessmom.com forward slash review. And thank you again for listening. Make sure no matter what you do today, you do it 100% shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.